We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. When, when we look at the, uh, the text in Ephesians chapter 4, there's another one almost like it over in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 that talks about the one Spirit. But when we're talking about the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. And uh, I'm going to, to take a, a tack, using an old nautical term, I'm going to take a, a way in the wind here to uh, develop this subject with you this morning in what, what is known as the deductive way of reasoning. Now, some of you may be aware of the way of, of reasoning and arg argument or setting forth a proposition or a position. And, and it's sometimes called deductive or inductive reasoning. The deductive reasoning means that we're going to start with a major premise and say, here's what it is. And then we'll go from there and take the minor premises and show that these support the major premise. Now, I, I thought about this a lot and I was, I was going the inductive route for a while. And then I thought, no, I think because I have it clear in my mind that I want to share with you what the conclusion is to start with and then let you follow along in the argumentation to show that each of the points that I make are supportive of that particular position. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, we know that the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit several different times. What I'm going to suggest to you uh, that, there, that the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote this book. Now, what that means is that the Holy Spirit acted like or behaved like a recorder. Some of you are familiar with business meetings. So when you get into a business meeting, there are those who are discussing the business of the company or, or whatever it may be, even the business of the church. And they have what is known as a recording secretary. Someone who's taking down the information and recording it. Now, also in, in court situations, during a trial, there will be a recording secretary, and she, and she or he will be sitting at a machine and taking down all the information. Now, you never, or I shouldn't say never, very seldom... Very seldom do you see the recording secretary or the one who is taking notes in the trial appear in the context of the record. Isn't that correct? Unless they have something to do with the business. Then, they, then you'll, you'll see their name. Now, I'm going to give you some text this morning to show, to demonstrate. What we're saying is that all the scripture that we have was written by the Holy Spirit. Amen. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is the one who said, told the different prophets, here's what you say, and I will choose the words that you use to say it with. 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 16, of course, is a, is a favorite text that we're familiar with. When Paul told Timothy, he said, or 1 Timothy 3, 16, 17, he said that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. All Scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
That word inspiration means, and we'll look at that in a minute too, breathe. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture. Which means that the Holy Spirit is the one who chose the words and chose the different prophets, as a matter of fact, who could say these things and then recorded them. Now you wonder, well, why don't we know more about the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is taking down the notes for the story. He is supplying the information for us of what is transpiring. So unless, and I'll show you a couple of places where you actually see the Holy Spirit come into the drama and appear as one of the speakers. But generally, the Holy Spirit is simply setting forth the drama in pictorial form and in uh, in vocal form, in the form of writing and scripture, he's the one who's making all the information available to us. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit does do some things. And you can see, you know, obviously, the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets and so forth. But sometimes, for instance, in Genesis 1 at verse 2 says, And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit is telling you, Here's, I did this. Here's what I did. And he wrote it down for us to see. And there are other texts like that. For instance, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 6, and I, ve- I believe it's verse 6 and 7, he says, or verse, well, let's see, I think it's at verse 3. I want to correct that. Genesis 6 at verse 3, it says that God said, My spirit shall not always strive with men. Now, God said, my spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. That's how we define the spirit of God and the spirit of man. He said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh. Yet his day shall be 120 years. So he, he, gave, he gave them 120 years before the flood. But he's talking about the fact that this is what the spirit did, what the Holy Spirit did. And the Holy Spirit is recording that, recording what God said about Himself about the Holy Spirit. Now I want to look into First Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty and twenty-one. And if you have a Bible or a pen and pencil, you might want to take some of this information down and maybe look at it later. It may not be everything you thought it was while we were talking about it. But in Second Peter chapter one, at verse twenty, Peter, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said. Knowing this first, that the prophet of the Scripture is not of any private interpretation. For the prophets came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's sometimes difficult to see, as we read the Old Testament, for instance, what the Spirit is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing. But sometimes we do see that. We always know when the Holy Spirit is speaking through a prophet. But there's another text in, in Psalms 104 that's really interesting to me that talks about uh, the creation of God. And in Psalms 104, and in, uh, let's see, it's verse 30, I believe it is. Psalms 104, and at verse 30, it says, you sent forth your spirit and they are created and you renewed the face of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is recording this drama 
that God sent him forth to create. And in, if we get to the New Testament, if we want to look at a text in the New Testament, in the book of First uh, Peter chapter 3, I believe it is, and I'm having a little trouble with my glasses because I forgot my regular glasses. And sometimes I have a hard time locating the text. But in First Peter chapter 3 at verse 18, the text says, Christ has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit... Recording event says, I'm the one that quickened Jesus. That's what he's telling us in the text. Now, there are three words in the Hebrew that translate one word, and that word is the word ruach. And I mentioned that last week, as a matter of fact. But the word ruach is the Hebrew word, and it's translated by three words. One is by the word spirit. One is by the word wind. One is by the word breath. Okay? So when the Spirit is telling you who He is, He's saying, I am the wind of God. I am the breath of God. And so the translators, because of the context they run across, as they translate in the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews, they're, they're, they're looking at the context and they're saying, okay, when does this word mean Wind, when does it mean spirit? When does it mean breath? Well, I think probably what we're, what we're dealing with is the fact that sometimes the translators may get it wrong or right as they're discussing it. But I do know this, that the Holy Spirit is sort of in the background. He's the one writing the information. But when you say, well, who are you? And he says, basically, from these words, he says, I am the wind of God. I am the breath of God. Now, the word Holy Spirit only appears three times in the Old Testament. The term Holy Spirit. We know it's the Spirit of God. There's no problem with looking at context because the text says Holy Spirit, one who is set apart. It's three, it's, it's, it's a, it appears three times. It appears, uh, for instance, in Psalms chapter 51, and at verse 11, when David said, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So we know that David used that term, Holy Spirit. Then Isaiah used it twice in the book of Isaiah in chapter 63. He used the term Holy Spirit, verse 10 and 11. Okay. So we know that that term is used in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the term Holy Spirit. But if we take the position, and I, I do take the position... That the Holy Spirit is the one recording the great drama of God from creation through the development of a nation called Israel, through the coming of Jesus Christ, and on into eternity into heaven. That the Holy Spirit is the one who is making the notes and giving the information and writing information down for us. And sometimes he appears as one of the actors in, on the stage and sometimes he doesn't. Well, let's talk about the Holy Spirit in these terms that will help us get a little more definition. In Colossians chapter 3, for instance, Colossians 2, I'm sorry, in verse 9, I, <laughs> my notes, 
Colossians 2, 9, it says that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now that term Godhead simply means deity. It's the, he, it's the Greek word theos, and it means God. So Jesus is God, and there, there are two others that are God in this context also. If we were to talk about humanity, we'd say that there are three parts of humanity, and all of us share the same quality. Man, woman, and child, that's manhood, that's humanity. When we want to talk about God, we say there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's the Godhood, or deity. And there are some, there are some texts for us that, that tell us how this, how this works. Uh, the most famous one, of course, the one that people use most of the time, is in 1 John in chapter 5. And in 1 John chapter 5, and at verse 6, it says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now when I'm reading, I'm reading from the King James translation, but I don't read the term Holy Ghost, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. Whenever I read it, when I look at it, when I quote it, I use the term Holy Spirit, because it's the same word. But it seems to me that it gives more definition to me. Okay, those three then in heaven, the Father, the Word, and Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, 1 is the Word. In the beginning is the Word, the Word is with God, the Word was God. Okay. And then the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit says, I'm part of the Godhood. I'm part of the Godhood. And we can read that in, in the book of John. We can see the three of them again. You say, well, why, why don't we know more about the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is revealing something else to us, not about Himself, but about the Father, about God, and about the Son. Now, I'll show you that in just a, just a few minutes. But let's look in John chapter 14, and we'll see the three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, again, in, distinguished. In chapter 14 of John, at verse 26, Jesus said, The Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So you have the three of them here. You have the Father sending the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. So you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the same thing is found in John chapter 15 and at verse 26. It says, When the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now, he's called, he calls himself the Spirit of truth. And there are some other phrases that, that define him. He's also called uh, the uh, Spirit of grace. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27. He's called the Spirit of promise in Ephesians 1 at verse 13. But here he's called the Comforter. That's the name that is given. However, if you think about this just a moment, the term Comforter is not a name as much as it is a description of what he's going to do. So the Holy Spirit is writing this letter, and he's, he's writing about Jesus, and he's saying, He's saying, uh, okay, the, when I come, the Comforter, in chapter 16, verse 12 and 13, I will guide you into all truth. Now this is the text I want you to look at with me in just a second, in John chapter 16. 
But right now we're going to take a look at the identity of the Holy Spirit. We, we, like to, we like to talk about God in terms of form. When I talk about God, I think in terms of Father. Don't you? When I talk about Jesus, I think in terms of Son. When I talk about the Holy Spirit, what form do I have for the Holy Spirit? What, we, we don't have a form, do we? And so we want a form. We want some way to identify the Holy Spirit. We want, so, we want some way to personify Him, as a matter of fact. But the only form that you're going to read about in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit are in some of these texts. In John chapter 1, for instance, when John the Baptist was being confronted by the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel, they were asking him, Who are you? And he's trying to explain to him that he's the one that is going to, going to come before Jesus. And at verse 32, John chapter 1, John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. So there's a form you have of the Holy Spirit. But you know, that's not how I would envision the Holy Spirit if I'm looking for personification. That's what we're actually trying to find is personification of the Holy Spirit. We want to somehow personify Him or identify Him or make Him tangible to us so we can think about Him. But the Holy Spirit is actually in the background and He's the one giving us all the information. He's the one writing this book and having this book written. He is the, he is the recording secretary, as it were. So this is His work. Now, in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, Jesus told the apostles to go into the city of Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father which you have heard of me. For John truly baptized water, you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. So when they went into the city of Jerusalem, they waited in chapter 2 at verse 4 and 5. It says, while they were there and praying, the Holy Spirit came down upon them like tongues of fire and sat upon each one of them. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now then we have the Holy Spirit in a form as tongues of fire. He's called the Comforter as well. However, the Holy Spirit starting out, as we read in the book of, of Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is saying, I am the wind of God. I am the breath of God. That's what he's saying. Now, we understand this term breath of God when we talk about how the, uh, the three, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the creation, when they said, let us make man in our own image, we understand that he was there. And it, but he doesn't actually define himself so that you can see clearly. And there's probably a reason for this. So in John chapter 16, I'm going to read a text to you that may help clarify this for you. In John chapter 16, and at verse 12, Jesus said, I have, many yet, I have yet many things to say unto you, howbeit you cannot bear them now. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Wait a minute. He shall not speak of himself. He's not going to talk about himself. He has come to tell you about Jesus. He is not dictating the information to tell us about himself. 
He's telling us about Jesus. He's telling us about God. Now, some take this and say, okay, he's not, that, that means he just, he's not going to tell you what he knows. He's going to tell you what the Father knows. That would be, I think, supercilious. But the point is, the Holy Spirit was not, when he's writing the book, he was not writing the book to write himself in the book so that we could understand him clearly. He was writing this book so you can understand who Jesus is. That's why he's writing the book. And what the drama is, and who the Father is, and what the system is that you must be a part of if you want to come back to God. Now, let's look at the next text, and the next chart then. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. So again, I mentioned in the, in the Old Testament, there are the three words that, that are translated from the word rock, the Hebrew word rock, spirit, wind, and breath. In the New Testament, there's two words that translates pneuma. Now, you know what a pneumatologist is, don't you? Someone who, de- who deals with your lungs. That's where you breathe. Well, that's the word pneuma or pneumatic tools. Those of you who, who do a little work with pneumatic tools, you know that they're air-driven. So, in the New Testament, the word pneuma or pneumas is the word that, it, that we translate either wind or spirit, or breath. Same thing. There's only one time that the translators translate this word pneuma as breath. And that's in Acts chapter 17, I believe it's verse 28 or 29, where Paul is talking to the people in Athens. He he says that God gives all life and breath in all things. Okay, so that's that's where the translators in the New Testament translate the word pneuma as breath. Every other place is going to be wind or spirit. Now we know when he's talking about himself, because he calls himself the Holy Spirit. Not just spirit, but Holy Spirit. Now, the King James Version is the version I use, of course. The King James Version uses the term Holy Ghost 90 times in the New Testament. It's never found in the Old Testament. Never translated Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. I'll tell you why in just a second. It's translated Holy Spirit in the King James five times. So basically in the New Testament, the word Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament the word Holy Spirit, the word holy means hagion or distinct or separate, identifying as being part of, uh, relating to God. In the Old Testament, three times the term Holy Spirit appears. That's all. Two times in Isaiah 63, one time in Psalm 51. In the New Testament, Holy Spirit five times, Holy Ghost 90 times, 95 times in the New Testament, we read the term Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. Let's just say Holy Spirit. 95 times. Now, let's look at our next chart. The Holy Spirit speaks. Now, I, I, I was mentioning to you a while ago that uh, we, we try to personalize or individualize the Holy Spirit and we, we sort of avoid trying to come to grips with something that we can't, we can't imagine. Now, the, the New Testament does not give a complete description of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't describe himself, as a matter of fact. We've, we've read the places where he says 
he came in the form of a dove. He looked like tongues of fire, and and uh, this this uh, he's the comforter. I, I missed I missed one. I probably should tell you something else. Jesus said in John chapter four when he's talking to the woman from the well of Samaria, he said uh, she he he told the woman he said I, I can give you water that springs up under everlasting life. And she said, Lord, give me that water, everlasting life. Well, in John chapter 7, Jesus describes, and remember this is the Holy Spirit describing himself. He's saying in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, we have one other term that that describes him, one other form, living water. So we we have the four terms, basically. Now, what the Holy Spirit does... He speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks. He not only speaks, but he, he speaks through individuals. Remember in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Jesus sent his apostles out and he said, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. He said, but don't be concerned about what you have to say. Because in the hour that you have to say it, he said, the Holy Spirit will say it for you. He will speak through you. He will give you the words. So, the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit is the one who talks. So, in the Old Testament, when, when uh, Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah, thus saith the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit was choosing the words that Isaiah was saying and writing, and he was helping write them down, because the Holy Spirit was doing it. And the same thing with Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the prophets, Everyone said that Moses, when he got up, as a matter of fact, the Bible says that Moses had the Spirit of, Spirit of God upon him, and he spoke. He, he led the children of Israel, and he wrote the first five books of the Bible. How could he write Genesis through Exodus? He wasn't there at the creation, because I know who was there. The Holy Spirit was there. He wrote down the information, and Moses then wrote it down. He used Moses' pen and quill and whatever he had to write with, and he wrote it down because the Holy Spirit is the one who's guiding that information. So the Holy Spirit was writing and did write this book. Okay. And when he, when he told the apostles, he said, Now, don't worry about it. When you get up to talk, the Holy Spirit will be talking through you. Now, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, and I, this is one I need to read for you because it's an important text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 20, it says, God has revealed them unto us. He's talking about the secrets of the mystery. He said, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. What man knows the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us God, to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are the foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So he's saying that those who are writing and speaking his word are those who are doing it because the Holy Spirit is the one making the notations and, and writing the, the uh, story. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and here's where I want to show you some places. Okay, here we have the recording secretary, the Holy Spirit, and he's recording all the events of, that are going on. You say, well, where does, he, where does he show himself somewhere in the text that he's doing this? Does he ever come? Does he ever come out? Have you ever watched an Alfred Hitchcock movie? Some of you have. Some of you are not old enough to. Anyway, at some place in that movie, Alfred is going to show up. Did you know that? Somewhere he pops up. Okay. Here's the point. Somewhere in the scriptures, and I'm going to show you a couple of places. The Holy Spirit actually surfaces speaks personally, surfaces in this record. Well, he's always, he's always writing down the record, of course, but in places he, he steps up and says something. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly. There he was. He surfaced and he said, I'm going to say something. And he does that he, he's going to talk about, he's going to warn them that, that there's going to be a falling away. So the Spirit spoke expressly. So in all this information we have, and he's writing the drama out and showing us the drama of salvation and the drama of the coming heaven and the, the way that God had laid it out all through the history, and he's recording all that. Then he says here in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he just spoke. He spoke out in the record. Now the Spirit speaks expressly. That's one place. Another place, actually, is seven more places, but it's in ju just two chapters in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and at verse 3, chapter 2 and 3, not verse 3, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is writing to and speaking to the seven churches of Asia. And at the conclusion of each letter, he says, He that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So the Spirit is actually there at that point where you can see him in the record saying, I'm saying, if you've got an ear, listen to what I'm saying. And one other time in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, and in verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Spirit of the bride say, come. Let him hear, come. So the Spirit appears in this record, and you can actually see him or hear him and observe what he, what's going on. Okay, one other chart. And maybe I'll ask if you have any questions. You may have lots of questions. But, but I think it's pretty obvious when you begin to read it. And I think all the text that I have set forth for you actually demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is the one writing the record and that can probably demonstrate why you're not seeing that much of the Holy Spirit Himself in that record. We see the works of God. So 
I'm impressed with Psalms 104 because that tells about the creation of God. And yet the Holy Spirit takes a very small part in it, but he tells about, and he says, here's, here's the magnificent ability and creative power of God. And he's talking about the one who has all position of authority. Now we know that, that the Father is the head, Jesus Christ is the Son, and the Holy Spirit comes in, in that order of authority. So when, when we're told that Jesus Christ was given all authority, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and talking about the resurrection, that He was accepted when Jesus was given all authority, that the Father was accepted. In other words, He wasn't placed underneath the Son. So we know, when we, as we're reading the Scriptures, that the Father has the position, the highest position of authority, then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. Places Himself that way. And what does He say? Who are you, Holy Spirit? He says, I'm just the wind. I'm just the breath. I'm the breath of God. I'm the wind of God. I'm telling the story. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what's going on. The breath of God. Ezekiel 36, 25-28 talks about the time when God is going to develop in these folks a new heart and a new spirit. In Romans chapter 5 and at verse 5, we have a text that says, Hope that makes not ashamed, because the love of God is spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given us. And in Hebrews chapter 3 and at verse 7 and 8, Today, if you'll hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation. He's saying, don't harden your hearts, hear His voice. So, let's, let's take this back to what the Holy Spirit does to you. Now, I'm going to tell you something at the conclusion of this, right now. That's supposed to be a, a heart of stone. Now, how can God get into that heart? How does He get into the heart? He gets into the heart through the Word. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. The Holy Spirit tells the story of Jesus. And what does that do? It hits you right in the heart, doesn't it? It did to the people on the day of Pentecost. There they were, all gathered together, thousands of them. And Peter is saying, this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, God has made Him both Lord and Christ. And all of a sudden, it says they were pricked in their hearts. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What, was, what, was, what pressure were they feeling? Were they feeling some pressure somewhere? If, if you were to say, talk about the weather, you were to say, hey, I think the wind's blowing outside. Let's get on TV or on the radio and see what the uh, uh, see what the meteorologist says. See if we see if we know. Then let's get a book open and see what wind is, and let's let's figure it all out. Or you could go outside and you could feel it, couldn't you? You don't have to be a meteorologist to know when the wind's blowing or to feel it. So you can feel the pressure of the breath of God, the wind of God on your heart when you open this book and you begin to read what is written here 
in particular about Jesus Christ. You begin to feel the pressure. The atmospheric pressure changes. Now you're feeling pressure against your heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is quick, it's alive, and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 29 says, My word is like a fire. It's like a fire. You know what happens when you read this book? This is the most wonderful book in the world. And when you start reading about Jesus Christ, you're reading what the Holy Spirit is telling you, and it's pounding on your heart. He says, it's like a fire. It'll set you afire. He says, my, my word is like a hammer. It'll break the rock in pieces. That's the word of God. And that's the pressure. And that's why I believe the New Testament calls, uses that word pneuma, which is wind, Talking about the Holy Spirit. He puts that pressure on you. Yes, it's a feeling. Your faith is a feeling. It's not just something you, you have to get the information. Of course, you've got to get all the information together. And you have to see, well, here's what, is, here's what Jesus did, and here's what they did, and here's what God wants. But until you feel the pressure of Jesus Christ through the Spirit on your heart, you're not going to do anything. It's a feeling. You know, people are afraid of this idea that, that faith is a feeling. I wonder why. Isn't love a feeling? When you, when you came in this morning and said, How are you doing? I could have said, I'm in love with God. I could have said, I'm full of hope. Because that'd be right, wouldn't it? How are you doing? I'm talking about how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? I'm feeling down. I'm on a downer. I'm feeling up. We're talking about how you feel. Until you have a feeling for God, you're not going to serve Him. Faith is not something that you can define and demonstrate scientifically. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things, not, or the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Faith is not an empirical definition. So we don't we don't have to worry about how we're going to parse the, the, the sentences, how we're going to diagram the sentences, how we're going to inflect the verbs. What we have to worry about is how we're going to get our hearts open and let the Word of God come in. That's what we have to And that's where we feel the pressure. Now, let me take you to a, a, a verse that you probably struggled with before in the book of John and in chapter 3. You remember this when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Now, he's talking to Nicodemus. He said, Now Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he shall not enter the kingdom of God. And he said, A man must be born of water and the Spirit, is what he told Nicodemus. Verse 5. He can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Then he says, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants to. That's the word spirit. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's the word spirit. The wind blows where it wants to, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That's the breath of God on your heart. That's where He wants that, that wind to blow. He wants it to blow against your heart so that you'll say, Lord, I... I 
What shall I do? Remember the, the Apostle Paul when he was Saul? He was on his way to Damascus. He was going to kill him some Christians. He was going to put some in jail and bring them back and, and imprison them and beat them. And, and on his way, the Lord appeared to him in a bright light. And he fell to his knees and he was blind. And he said, Who are you, Lord? Who are you? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Something is goading you, Saul. Something getting to you. And so he went into the city of Damascus and took him three days to come to the conclusion that I need to, I need to obey. I need to open my heart to him. Here was a man who had a hard heart. Hard enough that he could go around killing people because they believed in Jesus. He went in and three days later Ananias came to him and said, Why are you waiting, Saul? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Yes, my friend, you can feel the influence of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it comes through His Word. Yes, there were times, there were times when the Holy Spirit activated individuals so that they could perform miracles, but it was always for the purpose of verifying the account, the record that he was writing. I mentioned a while ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through I think about verse 13 and 14, there were nine, nine points about what the Holy Spirit was doing, and every one of those nine points had to do with the Word. So, you get this Word open, you read it, you absorb it, and you feel it. You feel the influence and the power. You feel the breath of God against your heart. God help you in your reading of God's Word. I hope I've helped you some in terms of the Holy Spirit. So let's stand together and sing the song of invitation.